you uh, turn in God's Word with me? We're going to look at a couple of brief passages here now, and then I'm going to invite you to spend our time together today in the story of Joseph from Genesis 39. But turn with me first, if you would, um, to the book of James. The book of James. It's way back toward the back of the New Testament. You can find our passage today on page 1011, 1011, on page 1011 of the Pew Bible that you'll find in there. And um, I want to start with um, the very beginning of James' book. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, the people of God cast all over the world, greetings, he says. I want you to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that amazing? Give us wisdom, God. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. By the wind. Excuse me. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his, in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all those who love him. So let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The very word of God. I'll flip back a few pages, would you, to... To 1 Corinthians, this is a, a, a very familiar verse to, uh, to many of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have a Maroon Pew Bible, you can find 1 Corinthians on page 957. And we're just going to pull uh, two verses from this amazing passage. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. The very word of God. Amen. Amen. Well, wow, we have been uh, telling the gospel according to Joseph. Now, I have to be honest with you, as we have begun to do that, we discovered that what I'm calling the gospel, what 
what the Word, I believe, tells us is really good news doesn't look like good news. If you have been following the story with us, you know that this precocious 17-year-old who was constantly telling his brothers, even his mother and his father, the dreams that he had, that that one day they would bow to him, this precocious 17-year-old whose father sent him on about a a 30-mile journey to check on his brothers was taken by those very brothers and and thrown into a pit. They were going to kill him. If it hadn't been for the eldest brother, those of you who are familiar with the the prodigal uh, God story, if it hadn't been for the eldest brother who was committed to keeping the family together, he probably would have been killed. But instead, he was sold into slavery to their distant cousins, the Ishmaelites, and, and had an amazing journey, hundreds of miles to, to Egypt, where he was sold again into slavery to the Egyptians. And we want to pick up that amazing story uh, of Joseph there today, because you would think, wow, that, that would be a lifetime of adventure all by itself right there. That would be an amazing testimony the rest of his life right there. But God was just beginning. So it looked, it looked like everything was, uh, was destruction, like everything was going against Joseph. And then Joseph gets to Egypt, and the, and the person that he sold to, it appears from Scripture, was one of the third or fourth highest people in all of Egypt. He gets sold to one of the most influential um, men in, in all of Egypt, and he's brought into his luxurious house if you had to be a slave in Egypt. This was where you would want to be. And so it almost sounds like one of those stories, something bad happened, but God made it turn out for good, right? And, and, and we start to see a sequence of events in Joseph's life where God's perfect will is being worked out, but not the way that you would think. So Joseph, we find him serving in Potiphar, is the man's name, Potiphar's house. And and I'm going to have to summarize the story because it encompasses the entire chapter of uh, Genesis 39. But the chapter begins with this comment, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph, And so, um, so right off the bat, we know that the issue throughout Joseph's life is not going to be Joseph. We, we, we're tempted to make him a hero as we, as we see the amazing things that God did in his life. But the reality is that Joseph's not the hero, right? Joseph's just a man like you or me. Joseph is just a person. The hero is God. The Lord was with Joseph. And you think, well, wow, that's all I need to know then, right? But watch what happens. He is in the home of, of one of the highest uh, uh, positions in all of Egypt. And the problem is, is that Joseph, at this time, maybe 18 or 19 years old, is very uh, attractive to Potiphar's wife. And so Potiphar, uh, the, the Genesis 39 said, had eyes for Joseph, in that funny um, songs and Hallmark cards, all of those uh, kind of pick up on that kind of idea. I only have eyes for you, right? It began with her eyes, and she was attracted to Joseph. And in Genesis 39 says to us that Joseph was very clear on what to do. He refused her. 
He refused her, but she kept coming at him again and again. And so Joseph said to her, why in the world? Your husband has entrusted everything to me except you. Isn't that the way that sin works? You know, everything in the garden is available to you except that tree, right? Your husband has entrusted everything to me except you. Why would I do, he says this, why would I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? But like sin, Potiphar's wife kept coming. Kept coming. Jesus rebuffed Satan in, in the wilderness, right? And Satan came right back at him. You have probably overcome amazing challenges in your own flesh and your flesh keeps coming at you, right? You've probably come to that point where you've been able to recognize the brokenness of our world and been able to stand against it. Did the world just say, oh, I'm going to back off now. I'm not going to bother you anymore, right? No. The world just keeps coming at you. And Potiphar's wife kept coming after him, finally at one point seizing him. Seizing him in that amazing thing that's imprinted on so many of our minds. What did he do? He, he slipped out of his tunic, his coat, and he, and he ran. And he ran. So the thing that strikes me today about this is you would think that, that when you entrusted your life to God, when you, when you decided, I'm going to make you first in my life, God, that everything would go well, right? You just kind of think it, it, our natural human inclination is to believe that everything is just going to go well from there. But God never promised that. In the Old Testament or in the New Testament, in fact, he almost did the opposite. He promised the opposite. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. But Jesus said, be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. So I want to talk with you today, if I can, about this. We had a bunch of T words today, but, but Jesus called it tribulation. Our, our word here in several of our passages is the word temptation. And I apologize for not having complete notes for you here. I'm going to call them out. If you choose to take notes, I'm going to call them out for you pretty clearly. This is the first major thought. What is temptation in Scripture? I'm going to remind you of a teaching that, that many of you had a long time ago. We've talked about it before, but, but we're different people than we were then. We've had different experiences, and we even have new people in our midst who are not there for that. Let me just remind you that in, in English, oftentimes... We have many words to describe um, what was only one word in the original languages. And vice versa, in the original languages, sometimes they have many words to describe what's one word for us. The word we used as an example before was the word love. We have one word for love. The scripture has five words for it, right? Um, and I reminded you back then that, that we have three words for snow and Eskimos have 200 words for snow, Right? Um, we might need to learn a few of those words before this trip is over here. But the, this is one of those situations. The original language have one word, and the only way you know what that word is is by the context in which you read it. So what is temptation? Three things to keep in mind here. It is a trial. It is a trial. It is, the implication is that it's not easy. This is going to be hard. 
And, and God never promised us that we would not have hard things. So if you find yourself in this situation, know that for certain. Whether it's a, a temptation to despair as, as little by little you're, you're losing control over things that you would like to maintain control of. Um, if you're facing a, a powerful addiction and, and, and you're, you're saying, God, why can't I overcome this? It's a trial. God never said that you wouldn't have these trials. It's going to be difficult. And anybody that tells you otherwise isn't really paying attention to either the Old or New Testaments in the Bible because, because God didn't promise us that we wouldn't have trials. Remember our first, our first word here today. He only promised us His presence in the midst of it, right? So understand that, that temptations are not easy, right? Understand also that, in a sense, they are tests. There's no distinction in the Word of God between the word temptation and the word test. And so, so it's kind of, uh, the implication is that it's going to press us. It's going to press us and it's going to teach us a little bit about who we are and, and what we believe about ourselves. It's a test, first of all, of who you are. The word test, by the way, uh, is that word uh, assess or assay, as in metallurgy, you're finding out what's in that. And immediately my thought goes to, ooh, I'm going to find impurities in this metal, which is Dave. And if you went to the same place, I just have words of comfort for you. God understands that, that the idea is not to have a perfect purity. You can only have that through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But but a test shows you who you are, and it doesn't make you who you are, right? A test reveals who you are. Do you understand that distinction? You're not made by the temptations around you, but the temptations around you will reveal, will reveal to you who you really are. So it is a trial, but it's also a test of who you are, and also, secondly, of your faith in who God is. Of your faith in who God is. It breaks my heart, but so many times brothers and sisters come to this place and they realize they, have a, they get a good look at who they are. And, and like the psalmist in Scripture, they discover, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm a vapor in the wind. I'm, I'm the dew on the grass. And when the sun comes up, it melts away, and it's like it was never there. I am insignificant. Doesn't that go against the way of our world? You are significant. I am insignificant, right? In and of myself. But when you come to these points, when you're brought to your own insignificance, when you're brought to, to the reality of your helplessness, that's when God's glory is made known. That's when we get an amazing picture of who God is. And that's a question I have for you today. That's a question I have. Beth, I'm going to need you in a second here, huh? Who are you? Who are you? Can you look at yourself with all your warts and all your brokenness, all your insufficiencies? Can you look at yourself and, and honestly say, this is who I am. 
God, I'm nothing. But I want to ask you as well, can you look at God? Can you look at Him and and really see Him for who He is? For the lover of your soul. For the one who created you, yes, with the ability to choose not to love Him. The one who created you with such a hunger for that love that one day those two things would come together again. Can you cast yourself on who He is in light of who you are? Who are you this morning? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way? For my ever-wandering heart Not because of who I am But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Every day and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, still you hear me when I'm calling, Lord you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am, I am yours, I am yours. Lord, you catch me when I'm 
Spirit, I just uh, cry out for those who today maybe are coming, maybe for the first time, to a real assessment of, of who they are. And God, I pray that you would not allow us to succumb to the temptation of our own flesh to believe that, that somehow we are nothing in your sight. We are a flower quickly fading. But God, you created that flower. You created that beauty. And God, I pray we would not succumb to the lies of the evil one. That would doubt who, cause us to doubt who you are. And would cause us to deny, God, that there's nothing that you can't do, even with a faded flower, even with a mist. Thank you, God, for who you are. Help us to respond to who you are today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, wow, what is temptation? It is a trial. It is a test of who we are and of who we believe, who we understand God to be. But I want to suggest to you, too, that it is a choice. It is a choice. What would it, what would it be like if we didn't lack anything? What, what would it be like? Do you, do you remember what James said? Consider it all joy, he said, when you encounter various trials, because it's making you perfect and complete, right? Lacking in nothing. James puts together an amazing choice for us here. I'm going to call this one life. James gives us this choice of life. He doesn't say if you encounter trials of various kinds. He says when you encounter trials of various kinds, you can choose to understand that very testing of your faith, that very trial as a test of faith. And you can persevere. You can hold up under it. Because if God has given you that test of your faith, God is growing you into the woman or man of God that He desires you to be. And so James begs us, know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must have its perfect result. Perseverance in the NIV must finish its work so that you may be mature, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see what's happening? God is molding you and shaping you into the woman or man that He created you to be. Choose life, James says. But it's so interesting as we were reading that passage that there's another choice there, right? There's another choice, and that's instead of embracing what God is giving you to turn on Him and to accuse Him for what He's doing to you. When tempted, James says a little bit further down, no one should say, God is tempting me. God is not in the business of tempting people with evil, nor does He tempt anyone. Here's this problem again, right? Um, the NIV, the ESV translates that same word now as tempt. Uh, and and, and, and we have to understand that, that God is assaying our character. He's testing us in the midst of this. And a choice that we have is life. But here, James says, each one, it becomes a temptation when by our own evil desire we are dragged away and enticed. Then, he says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Is it wrong to be tested? Is it wrong, depending on how you understand that word, to see a temptation in front of you? Not at all. 
Jesus was tempted, here's that struggle with the same word, tested in every way as we are, yet without sin, right? There is a way, brothers and sisters. There is a way for us, and it's a way that does not uh, end in death. It's a way that ends in life. So we have, temptation is a trial, it is a test, but it's also a choice. Choose life. Choose life. Let me stop for a second. A major point here to say a word to those who aren't facing temptation. Some of us may be sitting here today going, eh, no big deal, right? I'm not facing any temptations that I can see. Is there anybody out there? You don't have to nod, don't raise your hands or anything. <clears throat> I find myself, especially when things are going well, this is cool. This is working well. God, thank you that I'm not facing any major temptations right now. Everybody's smiling. Why are you all smiling? You're dead meat guy, right? You're thinking you are going down and you're going down hard. And you are very biblical in that understanding. Did you hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians 10 earlier? So, he says, Paul says, if you think that you're standing firm, be careful, right? Be careful lest you fall. So, a a brief word to any of us who who are saying, you know, I I think I got this Christian life down now. I kind of got the hang of this now, and I'm pretty much impermeable to temptation, right? Good luck with that. And it's going to have to be luck, because, um, because God doesn't work that way. You are very vulnerable, maybe no more vulnerable than in that moment when you think you're invulnerable. Does that make sense? You are probably never more vulnerable. And all of us, all of us, and that's pretty much everybody in the room here, who has fallen to some sort of temptation, one or another, probably thought that we wouldn't do that. That we wouldn't succumb. Beloved, if you are Christ, Christ lives in you. And one day, He's going to have complete sovereignty over your life. But we're not there yet. We're not, that, that won't be true until we stand before Him and He says, be glorified, right? Until that moment, there's going to be a wrestling inside of you. Days of amazing glory and grace. Days when you feel His presence like never before and, 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 and you're just so grateful for that. Oh, I, I've known those moments and they're wonderful moments, but just as surely there's going to be those moments when, when you're, great, you're thinking, God, how could you love me? How did I succumb to that obvious temptation, right? It was so clear. It was right then. Um, Joseph's temptation here is, is a powerful one because it's a sexual temptation. And, and, and though no sin is different from another one in God's eyes, amen? I mean, my, my vulnerability to gossip isn't any less a sin than adultery would be, right? Um, but the consequences are often different. And I think that's why I'm, I'm glad that, that the example that, that is given to us in Scripture here is a, is a sexual sin. And there are many because it's such a powerful one with such long uh, extended consequences as a result of that. So, so a word, first of all, to those of us who would think that we're standing, be careful, right? But a word also to those of us who are in the midst of temptation. How do we respond to it? 
I'm kind of, I'm kind of um, going to run at you ten quick points from all three of our passages today, which, if it sounds like a mess, it looks like a mess on my paper here too. Um, but, but I'm going to try and draw from each of these passages that we looked at today. First of all, how do we respond if we find ourselves in that place of trial, in that place of testing, in that place of temptation? Recognize, first of all, recognize the source. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us there's three things to keep your finger on the pulse of. One is the world, one is your own flesh, and one is the evil one. All three of those things conspire against the glory of God being grown in your life. So recognize the source. And when you feel that temptation coming, knowing, as we heard so powerfully uh, just a moment ago, God is not, it's not from God. That temptation is not from God. That's coming from one of these three other sources. But secondly, recognize the source, but also I'm going to steal a word from Stephen Covey uh, and, 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 and say, recognize also, begin with the end in mind. Recognize what the end of it is. Recognize that one day you're going to stand in front of Jesus because of Jesus. Amen. Not because of what you did or didn't do. Not because of what did or didn't happen to you. One day, through faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to stand in front of him. And, and, and he's going to say, be glorified to you. I don't know about you. One day you're going to be freed from the pain. One day you're going to be freed from the brokenness. One day you're going to be freed from the disease. And for some of us, one of the days we'll be freed from the disease as well. Our body's expression of that disease. One day God is going to remove every tear from our eyes. One day God is going to restore us to the perfection that he created us for. That should bring us joy. Physical hope, emotional encouragement, spiritual joy. Begin with the end in mind. James says, count it all joy. Don't look at the trial or the temptation in front of you, but look at what God's going to do through it. Look at the back of the book. Look at the end of the story. Begin with that end in mind, and that end is joy. Our neighbors just had a baby. And, uh, oh my gosh, it's just the cutest little seven-pound thing. And, and um, we were out in the front yard, and they brought, you know, isn't, isn't that a joyful moment to see a new creation, to see this miracle of God in front of us? Beloved, you are that miracle. God rejoices over you. He looks at you like Tim was looking at his couple-day-old baby. He looks with love on you. Begin with that in mind. Begin with that in mind. Again, how do we respond in the midst of this? Stand firm. Stand firm. Remember that um, spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians chapter 6? Five times, five times, the Apostle Paul says, Stand firm. And the implication is that you, you, you're not going to win this battle by yourself, but you've got to stand in what you believe. You've got to stand in the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. You've got to stand in the power that is yours, right? And as we've explored together before, all that armor, all that stuff that he mentions, 
that will help you in this struggle is all in the front, right? As long as you stand in the midst of that and put your weight down on what God says, then, then God's process will continue and he'll perfect you into the man or the woman that he desires you to be. Stand firm, but don't do it on your own strength. I can do nothing apart from myself, but I can do, how does Paul put it in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stand firm in Christ's strength. Understand, again, point four, that it's a test of who you are, but especially, I'm I'm sorry, you're just not that big a potato in, in the evil one's mind, right? You're just not that big a prize. I hate to be the one to break it to you. This is not about you. It's about the cosmic struggle for evil over righteousness. This is about God. Um, Understand it's a test of who you are and who God is. And know that you're not alone. You're not alone. Others are experiencing, Paul tells us, the same temptation. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. So it may look like everybody else in the room has their act together here. Every single one of us is facing this at some level. Or we're taking a serious cruise down denial, right? Every single one of us. So what you're facing is not unique to you. And the biblical solutions to your struggle are not unique. God has provided a way. And you're not alone. Brothers and sisters are facing the very same thing. But do not lose the second point of that either. That God is also with you. Uh, Our passage I mentioned earlier begins and ends. Joseph's story begins and ends with this reality. The Lord is with you. Right? The Lord is with you. So you're not alone. I want to just pull a word of encouragement as well and say choose ahead of time how you will respond. I would like to think that maybe Joseph, in the midst of that trial, uh, was strong enough. He says, you know what? What should I do in the midst of the sexual temptation that's in front of me? What should I do? Um, I don't think that's the way it works. I think a long time before that, a long time before that, he's chose and said, I'm not going to dishonor you, God. I'm not going to dishonor you with this struggle. I remember when I was a youth, I've shared it with you before, that our youth leader encouraged us, says, don't make, don't make decisions about um, how you'll respond to temptation in the back seat of a Chevy. I happened to have a 55 Chevy at the time. It landed on me. It landed. I've shared with you that funny story too. Um, the decision has to be made ahead of time. Choose now. Choose now. As I thought about asking you this, I, I, I wondered what your response would be. And I, I was guessing that you'd say, well, I don't want to risk choosing now. Right? I don't want to risk a saying out loud or even to myself, God, I'm going to choose purity. I'm going to choose righteousness. I'm going to choose integrity, right? Why? Why would I not want to say that amongst friends, amongst people that love me and, and, and support me? Why would I not want to say it? Because when I fail, I don't want to be embarrassed, right? You see my thought process here? I already believe that I'm going to fail. I'm already saying to us, in a sense, God's not sufficient for that. 
And that, that's a lesson that just comes from our experience. How many times have we made commitments and how many times have we fallen short? Somewhere around 70 times 7, right? Um, but it's not about us falling short. It's about us putting our weight down on who God is. Choose how you respond. Beloved, you could choose right now. Right now. You could choose God. When I'm put in the situation, I'm going to choose you every time. I'm going to choose you. So it begs the question, what would God do? In a given situation, Psalm 119 gives us some encouragement. Hide God's word in your heart. Somebody help me. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Yeah. Yeah. I can say very courageously, God, I want to honor you. But, but what will that look like in a situation where a lady's got a hold of me, right? With my coat. What will that look like? And, and we can go to God's word. That's why we spend time in it. Because as we look at the nature and character of God, as we see the pathways that God has given us in the midst of that, of the temptations, then we can hide those in our hearts. And when the situation comes up, it's so awesome. I don't think we have time to do all of them, but it's so awesome to look at the way Joseph responded to those temptations. Did you see that? Right off the bat, he refused her. He refused her. And that was a dangerous thing to do. She was a powerful woman, right? But he refused her. But then she came back again, uh, at him again, right? And, and he did something that's important for us. He named it for what it was. He spoke it out loud. And he said two things, right? Your, your husband has entrusted everything to me except you. Why would I do this wicked thing? Name it. Name it, right? There's power in naming stuff what it is. This would be a wicked thing to do to your husband, Potiphar. But then he also goes further. He says this would be a sin against my God. Name it for what it is. Refuse. Name it for what it is. Be situationally aware. This one's on me, but I I could not resist it. Looking at what happened, right? So he did. He did all these things. She kept coming at him. And one day, it says he was in the house. He went into the house when there was nobody else present. There was nobody else present. And, And little red lights should have gone off, right? The woman has already indicated her desire a little red light should have gone off, but he wandered in there, probably out of a little bit of, of blessed naivete, and, and boom, he was alone with her in that. I'm not a person that says, don't get in an elevator with a person of the opposite sex. I'm not someone that way. But you've got to be situationally aware, right? Don't get in an elevator with a guy with a machine gun. Wisdom from Pastor Dave for you today. <laughs> don't get in an elevator with a guy with a machine gun, right? There's a lot worse things than machine guns, right? You've got to be aware, beloved. You've got to be aware. And, and if you're struggling with that, and I am, I am, I could tell you many stories, and I won't because I embarrass myself, about how naive I was in certain situations. And my wife, my wife says, are you crazy? Are you, what is the matter with you? Don't you see? And I go, no. And she goes, well, open your eyes, Right? Thank you, God, for wives and and in some of our situations for husbands who can see what we can't see, right? Who can who can call out the temptations and the vulnerabilities that are there. Be situation situationally aware. Don't go into the house when the person who's seeking your life spiritually is in there alone. 
And last, just an amazing word of hope in this, in this exploration of what do you do when you find temptation. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, again, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And did you hear it? God is faithful. And he will provide in some of the temptations a way of escape, right? Uh, no. He'll provide in most of the... T- no. He will provide in all those temptations. There is a way, beloved. There is a way. We're um, about to try um, about 20 stream crossings over 200 miles. And uh, right now, I hope we're praying that by the time we get there, you pray with us that the, the melt will go down and they'll be passable. But one of the tricks is to not try and cross it where the trail is, right? If the trail is under 30 feet of water and it's white and, and, and bouncing higher than your head, don't cross the stream there, right? Don't cross the stream right there. Somehow, some way, God has a way and it may not be right in front of you. We're reading amazing stories about people going three and four miles out of their way to finding a safe place to cross the stream God's word says that he is faithful and there is a way out. Whether the temptation is before you, whether the temptation is behind you, that there is a way out. I loved Joseph's solution. Uh, you know, he tried all the, all the godly responses and then he just put on his Adidas and he ran out of there. He just ran out of there. Were there consequences of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she accused him of rape, right? And it's so interesting to me, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. It's so interesting to me that, that Joseph was not put to death. This is about the fourth most powerful guy in Egypt. He could have said death, and Joseph would have died. Why did he not put him to death? I'm, this is Dave here, but, but I think it's because Potiphar knew his wife. And Potiphar knew Joseph. And Potiphar believed his wife. Hello, men. Hello. But Potiphar made his decision based on Joseph's integrity. On Joseph's integrity. It is never too late to build integrity. Amen? How do you do that? You make promises. You recovenant. What communion is all about. And, and you keep your promises. You keep them no matter what the consequences. We're going to pick that story up there next week as God honored Joseph's faithfulness in the midst of that. But let me just end by saying a final word to those who have already given in to temptation, which is of everyone in the room. So I'm speaking to all of us whatever the temptation was, to those of us who have already given in to temptation, it would be really easy to condemn ourselves, right? To slip with the Apostle Paul into Romans 7 and to say, everything I want to do, I don't do. Everything I don't want to do, I do. What was the next line? Wretched man that I am, right? It would be really easy to look at your wretchedness rather than the wonderful beauty of, of the nature and character of our Lord. We were singing about it earlier. Where are your eyes? What are you looking at? For those of us who have given in to temptation, remember the Lord's words to the Apostle Paul when he was obsessed with his wretchedness. The, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. 
Right? For my power is perfected, not in your strength, not in the fact that you've never given in to temptation, not in anything about you. My, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And it's that weird phrase Paul says, therefore I'm going to boast about my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. Any weak ones among us? He's strong. He is strong. Rest in His strength. Walk in Christ's saving power. Stand. Stand again. I love it in Proverbs. The difference between a wicked person and a righteous person is that they both get knocked down six times. But the righteous one stands again. The righteous one gets up. Not in faith in themselves, but through faith in God. Oh God, give us that kind of faith. For those, God, who, who are facing temptations right now, I just pray that somehow these, these amazing gifts of God through the story of Joseph would become ours and we'd be able to put them into practice. But God, especially I pray for those of us who have given in to temptation and are tempted now to believe the lies that we are beyond the grace of God. Oh God, grant us faith in what Jesus has done, not in what we have done. Grant us the courage to with every sinew in our bodies to to scrape ourselves off the ground and to stand before you again. And God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. We will trust in your unfailing faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.